Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Complete Sports Media's podcast. I'm your host, Darren Campbell, and joining me as usual on a Monday is Jason Cameron. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, I, I'm off kind of for today, so nice. that's why we're able to do this a little bit earlier, and it's, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're getting eight hours paid today for sitting here doing a podcast. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it, it, I don't mind it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I love being off on Mondays, uh, starting to really break down the whole weekend of sports. Um, usually you and I do this uh, later at night, uh, but it's kind of a, a treat being able to do it early afternoon here and, and we can get on a lot of stories. Um, I want to right away get into some breaking news that I'm super, super excited to, to tell our viewers and, and you probably haven't even heard. Uh, Matt LaFleur was fired today for one of the worst coaching moves in history by taking the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, not going for it on fourth down, kicking the field goal, giving it back to Brady, and losing the game for Green Bay. They just said, see you later, Matt LaFleur. Uh, we don't want you anymore. Uh, I can see Eric Bieniemy uh, stepping into that seat then. And uh, woo, we're, we're, we're going. I'm, I'm pumped. I was so pumped. I, I was so angry about that move and uh they they acted real quick wasn't he coach of the year or something or like wasn't he in the conversation what i know okay this is what i'm gonna say after the whole regular season they always went for fourth downs uh i thought i thought they were one of the the teams that went for it the most yeah. it was a little bit like this head scratching where i went uh that's odd <laughs> i don't know why you did that <laughs> It wasn't head scratching for me. I was screaming at him, screaming at the TV. I almost broke my TV, and I'm not even a Packers fan. <laughs> I, I can understand that. I can understand that. I I looked at it and I was like, "Hmm, okay, so you're gonna let me get this straight. You're gonna give the ball back to Tom Brady, Tom Brady, who's a legend, who's actually more than a legend. He's now like a myth. It's almost like he he shouldn't exist. You're gonna give the ball back." <laughs> To that guy. To the goat. To the you're goat. giving it back to the goat. And, yeah. and you're, you're trying to say that he's not going to get one first down? Apparently. Apparently. He said, our defense has got this. You guys have only been, you know, torched slightly, a little bit, a lot. But they did get some turnovers. They did make Tom, Tom Brady turn over the ball. Yeah. You know, like it first was time. there. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the game's on the line. Who else would you want with the ball in your hands if you came on the line? Well, you want Tom Brady with the ball in his hands, I'm on the line. Yeah. Just like you would want Aaron Rodgers to try to get you a fourth down. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know if he had cold feet or something. I don't know what he was thinking. So, so they did an immediate poll after the game. There are, for the Green Bay Packers, they are the only large professional team that are community-owned. They're the only team that doesn't have an owner, a big figurehead, a big guy that's got tons of money and he's eccentric and he makes all these crazy moves. No, they got 360,760 owners. That's how many people have the same amount of stock in the Green Bay Packers. So they did a, a poll and 360,754... <laughs> Voted to fire LaFleur. 
<laughs> and the only people that didn't were a couple of, I think of his family members or something. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, uh, and then they did another poll right after. They just decided, okay, let's pull these people. Let's see what we can do next. So they asked them who they should hire for head coach. And overwhelmingly, 350,000 said Aaron Rodgers. So um, maybe Aaron Rodgers is the new coach of the Green Bay Packers. They're going to do away with the coach. Aaron Rodgers can call the plays. He can get his legendary status up to the point where uh, Tom Brady's sort of shaking in his boots about losing the goat. You, you take the ball out of the MVP's hands and, and you kick a field goal and give it to the greatest of all time. Uh, the, the fans were just, that's it. We've had it. We don't want a coach anymore. Give Aaron Rodgers the ability to call his own plays. Player coach. Yeah, yeah. It was bound to happen at some point, especially if you have a guy that says this. Aaron, I know you're good, but maybe not just good enough in the most important time of our particular season. Maybe just not. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the ball out of your hands, and I'm going to give it to the kicker. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> doesn't it, doesn't it sound like one of the most ridiculous things we've ever heard yeah well especially when i say it like that yes it does, yes, it does. <laughs> oh my god yeah just infuriating so i started looking on on the internet and i saw, i wanted to see what was trending uh with all this and amazon released a tweet and they said uh, very unusual activity happening and they said that there was 6 million TVs purchased today in the state of Wisconsin. And I wondered, whoa, how could that be? So I did some investigation and it was because as soon as Matt LaFleur made that move and they lost the game, 6 million people in the state broke their TVs and they needed to buy a new one today. They were done. They were so angry that... Um, Amazon just made a uh, billion dollars today off a TV smash in the state of Wisconsin. Well, Amazon must be pretty happy. They must be like, man, don't don't fire that guy. Let him stay on. Jesus, we made a lot of money. But oh man, okay, like like we like we both said, it it didn't it didn't make any sense. His choice was his choice was actually so egregiously obvious. Then it's like, well, why didn't you do that? Like yeah. it's you. You literally didn't have a choice. There was actually no other play than to make that choice. That's it. Yeah. No other play. And it's, it's really strange that he wouldn't make that choice because then it takes the onus off of him. It yeah. puts it on to Rodgers. If Rodgers doesn't score, he said, well, I put my MVP. I put my top guy. I put him in place. I gave him a chance. He just didn't get it in. The box defense was too good. We just weren't able to score, but now he throws it onto his own shoulders by go, not going for it and kicking a field goal, giving it back to Tom Brady and giving them a chance to get one first down and finish the game. Uh, his logic after saying I had three timeouts plus the two-minute warning, our defense had played great, but it's, it's, it's not just a normal guy on the other side of the field. It's Tom freaking Brady going for his 10th championship, 10th Super Bowl. It's not a normal person. If it was most any other quarterback, maybe. But, oh, my God, it was just one of the worst moves I've ever seen in football history. And, unfortunately, I'm just kidding that LaFleur got got fired today. 
<laughs> I really just wish that he did. He, I'm kidding. He's still the coach, unfortunately, of the Packers, but uh, he's going to go down and have that on his resume for the rest of his life that he blew that. Just like the Seattle Seahawks blew it, uh, he blew it just as bad in that moment. First off, you really sold that well. You really did. That was that was quite nice. That was really good. It was really good. But yeah, he he did blow it, man. He, he blew it um, because, like you said, you, you give you're giving the ball back to a man that's kind of right now like a like a fairy tale folk hero. He's, a, he's a, it's like everything he's done is like, well, that couldn't have happened. Not one man. Not that guy. No. But but he, he gives the ball back to that guy. And then also too, there's a reason why Aaron Rodgers somewhat not happy at the end of the game no. <laughs> somewhat displeased like yeah. it's like ah because in his mind obviously he didn't think it was he had a couple downs left to try to get it done like obviously they were going to go for it on fourth down he was a little bit shocked when the kicking unit's coming on oh what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so yeah, yeah. Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, isn't blameless in this whole situation. He was gifted three interceptions by Tom Brady. He had uh, an opportunity on that third down play. They were on the eight yard line. Uh, he scrambled out of the pocket. He had already thrown to uh, Devonte a couple of times and had connected. He saw there was daylight on the right side. There was probably not capable not the one of the Tampa Bay guys probably couldn't have got to him before he scored that touchdown he decided to throw it to Devontae again Devontae Adams uh double coverage on the goal line the ball was knocked away so he's not 100% blameless on this he should have been able to run that ball in I don't know if it would have been because he thought well we got fourth down uh we got four downs hey uh you know I, I, maybe I don't get in maybe I I get hurt. Uh, I don't know, but in the heat of the moment, that whole right side was wide open and he could have, I think, ran it in like he did the week before he had a fantastic run and scored. Uh, so you can't give him, you know, a complete pass, but to just realize, oh my God, we're not going for it on fourth down. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers is really going to consider leaving Green Bay. I, I think that's definitely a possibility right now. Or they're going to have to appease Aaron Rodgers, the whole organization as a whole, in a certain way to make sure that he doesn't leave. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that's going to take. But, uh, yeah, again, he, I saw the same thing as you. The right side was open. I, to be honest with you, he was moving that way anyways. I was surprised he just didn't take off and ran. I, I was kind of surprised he didn't do that, but he yeah. chose not to. And I, I want to say, I think as well, he did pass to Devontae, but I believe Lazar was wide open on that on that particular play as well. But he missed him. But anyways, regardless, um, yes, Aaron Rodgers is not out of the realm of blame, but but clearly the bulk, 95% of the blame lies on the head coach. Yeah. Shouldn't have made that play. So uh I, I, I see um, I see a message on my phone and it just came across and it was uh, from Deshaun Watson and he said, uh, now that you're suggesting that Aaron Rodgers be the coach of Green Bay, how come I can't be the coach of Houston? So, uh, ooh, 
Ooh, Interesting. Ooh. Ooh. I, I think um, I think these guys, especially when they're the elite level quarterbacks, they should be calling most of their own plays. I don't agree with having all these coaches in their headset and calling it. They're not on the field. They're not seeing the action from on the field. They're not getting a feel for who's good, who's hot, who's not. They're just looking at a sheet and going, oh, yeah, call this play, call that play. I've seen so many boneheaded calls in the past few years that just infuriate me. Why can't these elite-level quarterbacks be calling their own, own plays? Because, let, let's be honest, there was a quarterback that kind of did that. He was the offensive coordinator, retired now, Peyton Manning. Yeah. He exactly. literally did all of that. He did. He, he was yeah. that guy. And also, too, the, his head coaches trusted him to do that. It's like, yeah. well, if Peyton says that's the play, then that's the play we're going to run. Right? Yeah. And, that, and to a certain extent, maybe these things should be afforded to your best player. And your quarterbacks are usually your best player, your yeah. most intelligent player, the player that's literally the leader on the field at all times. Yeah. So he should have that that responsibility and that ability to do those things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree with you. And, you know, it's just, it's just crazy that you get these, you know, elite level talents. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is everybody's consensus MVP this season, this regular season, two 13 and three records back to back. And just look at the difference in weapons that Aaron Rodgers has compared to what uh, Patrick Mahomes has with the Chiefs compared to what Tom Brady has with the Bucs. Uh, and he still gave them a legitimate shot to be in that Super Bowl. Uh, he's got Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones, but the rest of the guy, the, the cast is just not the elite level and weaponry that the Mahomes and Brady have. No, no, man. It's not even close. Like, like it, really, it really isn't. It's not, even, it's not even close. It's not really a discussion that needs to be had. It's just that Aaron Rodgers is that good yeah. to bring up the level of everybody else, right? Yeah. And so if you have a guy that has the ability to bring up the level of an entire team on the offensive side of the ball, and then you say, nah, son, no ball for you. <laughs> Kicker, get it on in there. <laughs> Keep that field going. What are you doing? What are you doing? Man? So no, done. man. Yeah. So yeah. Horrible. Okay, you touched on Tom Brady. I know you know you're not a fan. Uh, it's it's hard to see him constantly knocking off the teams that we cheer for and breaking the hearts of so many football fans around the nation. Uh, this will be the 55th Super Bowl. He'll be in it the 10th time. Almost 20% of the Super Bowls he's appeared in. Uh, his legendary status just keeps growing and growing and growing. You mentioned. Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl. They should have a video game with Tom Brady. If you're the quarterback, you go to the Super Bowl and you win the game. Uh, that's just, you know, it, it's it that he has to be the greatest of all time and just continuing to uh, elevate that status. Um, does that show that Bill Belichick was just um, holding a clipboard and holding his jock strap and uh, Brady was the one that uh, kept getting them there uh does it really discontinue and discount uh belichick's involvement in uh getting all of these super bowls i i can't say that you can't say that right because <laughs> shoot tampa bay has only done it the one time yeah. and bill belichick did it like like a ton so him and brady did it a ton maybe if brady is around for a couple more years which is 
Let's be honest, kind of highly doubtful. Like eventually he's going to have to retire. I would imagine. <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't know anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you can't. You can't discount that. But you know, even with Brady's performance, it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't particular Brady-esque. He did have three interceptions in the game. But guess what? He didn't have to be perfect because his defense was stellar. Yeah. Yeah. They had the three takeaways on Green Bay side of the ball, but the defense only gave up six points. That, that's that's yeah. as good as it gets. I, I definitely want to touch on the defense, but I want to touch on Tom, uh, Tom Brady a little bit more. Um, can he, do you think he can start becoming in the conversation for one of the greatest athletes of all time? Not just one of the greatest football players of all time, but one of the greatest athletes. We've got, you know, we talk about uh, baseball having like Babe Ruth and hockey having Wayne Gretzky and, you know, a lot of the sports having, you know, Michael Jordan, uh, LeBron James. Uh, Tom Brady now is going for his 10th Super Bowl appearance, seventh championship. Uh, he has actually 17 wins after turning 35 in the playoffs. And that's more than any other QB has in his whole career from the age of 20 to 40. Uh, Tom Brady, I don't know. Can we start considering him uh, the greatest athlete of all time? <laughs> Physical gifts, you know, like obviously he has the arm. His speed is suspect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. But cerebral athlete, definitely. He's right up. Like, yeah. Yeah. You, yes, you would have to say that. Be, just because of the accolades, what he's accomplished, all the things he's done, which is just, as I've said before, it's on a mythical status now. Like, where you're just like, it kind of it doesn't really make any more sense. Like where yeah. you're like, what, what are you, 43? Like, really? Are you? Like, and you're still tossing it down the field like it's nothing. Like it's, oh man, yeah. Like he, he just keeps getting it done yeah. over and over again to the point that now fans like me, I'm not a fan, are tired of it. Retire. <laughs> just like, go, let's, retire let's retire. But no, man, he just keeps going and going and going. And so, yeah, it's impressive. I don't, I don't think that you have to, when you talk about the best athletes of all time, I don't have, I don't think you have to necessarily say physical body because uh, Steph Curry, probably the greatest shooter of all time. And a lot of people talk about his lack of athleticism. His physical body doesn't look intimidating like a LeBron James. Uh, Wayne Gretzky he was never the fastest, never the most accurate shot, never have all these things that, that you measure a hockey player. Wayne Gretzky didn't have all those, but he's the greatest of all time by far and away. And so, you know, the thing about Brady that blows me away is he just wins. He just knows how to win. Even if he makes mistakes, he goes back onto the sidelines, regroups and comes back and wins in the clutch, wins when it counts and is able to take his team farther. And Bruce Arians made a comment after the game that said, what Tom Brady did for the most part for our team was give us belief, was able to give us the belief that we could win this championship and win a Super Bowl because he's there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like he, he does have that belief. He, he certainly has that belief in himself. I wonder why. Well, six Super Bowls were... I'll definitely do that. <laughs> definitely give that to you. And so with that belief that 
that pure belief that he has in himself and that he can elevate his team and give to the rest of his team, then all of a sudden it's infectious. It begins to just spread, just spread like wildfire. Then all of a sudden everybody catches it and everybody now has this strong belief in themselves that we can get this done. That, that, this guy, this guy, he's 43. And look at him. <laughs> I'm just balling out there like this is crazy yeah man okay so i want to point to i don't know i think it's maybe six tbs that i really want to uh focus in on after this weekend okay so tb12 tom brady tampa bay tb todd bowles the defensive coordinator of tampa bay then we've got tampa bay hosting the super bowl this is the first time an nfl team actually gets to play in a Super Bowl that they host. That, that to me, is amazing. And it's probably one of the reasons why Tom wanted to go there. Okay, we've got the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup. We've got the Tampa Bay Rays going to the uh, World Series and falling short because of another boneheaded coaching move. But I think that's about six or seven Tampa Bays. Are, are they becoming the city of champions? Ah, man. Yeah, possibly. Like, especially if, if Brady manages to figure out the conundrum that's the, that is uh, Kansas City. Possibly. <laughs> I, you know what? It really depends on what happens in the Super Bowl. That's what yeah. I would say. Yeah. We're, uh, what, what about hosting? Uh, it's too bad we're in COVID time. Uh, there's going to be, I hear, 22,000 fans there. 7,500 of them are getting tickets because they were frontline workers that have been vaccinated, which you and I talked about about a month ago, saying somebody made that suggestion and uh, they, they made it a reality, which is really exciting, but it's not really the home field advantage that you're gonna get during a regular season or playoffs, um, but does this give them an advantage? I think so. I wanna say yes. I think it does because you know what? They've been used to, a lot of the teams have been used to not playing in front of fans for the longest stretch of time. And now, finally, they get a significant amount of fans, not nearly what they're used to, but at least there's fans in the stands, which will add a little bit of excitement, something else. And the Super Bowl is not supposed to be a home game, but I guess this might be a home game, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think there would be something added to that. Their, their practice facility uh, is right beside Raymond James Stadium that, where they're going to hold the Super Bowl. They have, they're going to be witnessing over the next two weeks them setting it up, them having, you know, getting the, the uh, stadium ready. Uh, they don't have to leave their beds. They get to be there the whole time. They just made an announcement yesterday that uh, Kansas City will not actually arrive until I think either the Friday or the Saturday to come in for the Super Bowl. Uh, they don't want it for COVID purposes. Usually they come in for the media availability week and all the festivities and all the things going on, uh, but they're not coming in until the day before or the day, two days before. Um, I think that's a huge disadvantage for the Chiefs. You think so, huh? I, I, I'm gonna be honest. I think that might be kind of somewhat of an advantage wow. because with some of the hoopla, it's the distraction that is not really needed for a lot of the players. And a lot of that stuff is just purely nonsensical. You got some weirdness that goes on that they just have to put up with. It really is. Yeah. But now, because of COVID, um, all of that's been cut out. 
So now all the guys have to do is just like train, you know, get like get their get their work in, get the massages in, like you know, like get ready for the game and just focus on the game and not have to answer ridiculous or extraneous or questions that mean nothing about the game. Like you're just getting focused on the game. This might actually help KC quite a bit. I um I've tried to become a lip reader most of my life, and it's very challenging and difficult. Uh, I think. Uh, you could be really good at it. I, I noticed that you uh, you have that abilities. Uh, but um, I was watching uh, Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill on the sideline after Hardman fumbled the ball and the Bills punched it in and the Bills were up 9 nothing. And I think I saw them say, yay, we don't have to run the ball anymore. And... <laughs> and, and so Mahomes was able to launch it to his two biggest targets. And both those two guys had absolute monster games. It was just so impressive seeing Hill and Kelsey all day long. It was impressive. But you know, you know what was even more impressive to that? Is it is just that Patrick Mahomes is just like he, he's cool as ice. He kind of his demeanor kind of reminds me of Steve Young or me. Not Steve Young, Joe Montana. Joe Montana, Montana okay. Joe Montana, in that respect, where he's just like, oh, Hardman fumbled, huh? No, that's not good. They're up by nine, eh? That's not really enough to beat me. <laughs> <laughs> we and got this. We got this. And then also, too, then he goes to his buddy Hardman. He goes, hey, man, hey, you want to score a touchdown? You want to score a couple? All right. <laughs> Let me just give you the ball. And then you're going to be fine after that. We're going to be fine. Don't need to worry about nothing. And, and that's kind of what happened. All of a sudden, Paul Hartman scores a touchdown, has a couple of huge plays, and then the floodgates open, literally. Did they ever. They are off and running, and the, the Bills couldn't stop them. They couldn't stop anybody. They're just like, we don't know what to do. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was so awesome, just so awesome of a display. Uh, Tyreek Hill had nine catches, 172 yards, Kelsey had 13 catches, 118 yards, and two TDs. Uh, the 13 catches for Kelsey, franchise high, and the 172 yards for Hill is a franchise high as well. And it's just absolutely amazing to be able to assemble three weapons like that, Mahomes, Hill, and Kelsey. I, I think they're going to be favored, you know, when the – betting lines come down and they, you know, decide on who's going to win this game. I think they're favored. Uh, is there any way they can be stopped? <sighs> prayer, maybe like real prayer, you know, like, I, I'm sorry, man. I, I don't. Okay. So the Bucks defense played well against the Packers, but this, this offense, that's, that's something else entirely. That's just something that they're, they're going to have to try to contain. That, like just try to contain it, try to 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 limit the big plays. Yeah. I think that's about as much as they could ask for. You know what I mean? And then going on the other side of the ball for KC against the Bills, guess who you didn't hear about from the Bills? Stephon Diggs, gone. Where was he? They Where was took he? Him completely out. Yeah. The secondary for the Chiefs played exceptionally well with their blitz packaging and everything else and their man coverage. They manned them up big time, yeah. and they took out their best receiver. Now, unfortunately, now when they play the Bucks, there's a lot of good receivers there. 
I don't know if they can take them all out, but they've proven that they can shut down some of their best on the opposite side of the ball. Yeah. And that's, that's a big statement right there. It's huge. Tampa Bay's defense is phenomenal. Um, they they were pressuring Rodgers the whole game. They had him on the run. They were they sacked him five times. Uh, even though their uh, safety Winfield was hurt and had to miss the game right from the start, they lost a second safety partway through the game. Uh, but their front line, their linebackers, their DBs, their DBs coming in and pressuring uh, uh, Rodgers was super fantastic. Uh, Todd Bowles just had really amazing game plan against the Packers. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. Like his his game plan was great. Uh, yeah, Josh Allen was like he, he was running around like a chicken with his head cut off at times, man. Like he was, it was he he was having a, he was having a tough time out there, especially when you had the honey badger bearing down on him every once in a while <laughs> to disrupt the play and being a disruptive force. And he played very very well. You know, at the at the end of the day, though, man. The Chiefs, it doesn't, like, I think Mahomes is literally one of the only quarterbacks that he can just come back from. It doesn't matter how much he's down. It, he probably prefers that he is down because it makes it kind of exciting for him. <laughs> makes him not being bored. Like, it, they, are, they are just such an extreme puzzle to solve because if you try to take away one thing, they got a couple other things that they can go to that will hurt you yep. all the time. And then if you take away everything, then Mahomes will just run and scramble. Like so, ooh, this is this is gonna be this is gonna be a very, very tough game for the Bucks defense. Very tough. Uh Tom Brady, I'm sure he loves be, uh, loves getting called the GOAT. And they said that this is the Super Bowl should be called now the GOAT versus the kid. Um mm-hmm. if Tom Brady wins this Super Bowl, uh does Anybody else ever have a shot at becoming the GOAT, passing passing Tom Brady? If Tom Brady wins this Super Bowl, I'll be very sad. I'll be very sad indeed because it means that um, – it just means that he's just that incredibly good that, yes, nobody will ever touch it. Nobody will ever come – the person that's going to beat him if he wins seven Super Bowls would have to win Eight! Eight! Yeah, that's not what is maybe in a hundred years. I don't know if that's ever gonna happen, man. Okay, come on. That's ridiculous to even think about. It was ridiculous that he even got five and ridiculous that it got six, but seven? Oh man. Ah yeah. So but this is not gonna be an easy seven, man, because he has to come up against the guy that could supplant him as the goat. Yeah. It's goat versus potential future goat. That's what this is. So Mahomes uh, is setting all these records, his age. Uh, he's appearing in his second straight Super Bowl. Uh, he's the, the 14th quarter. Uh, I think he's the 15th quarterback to, oh, no, the 14th defending champion to return to the Super Bowl. And the, the, the last person that won was Tom Brady, 2003, 2004. Uh, this is Tampa Bay's first time uh, in the Super Bowl since 2003. Um the, the crazy thing about Mahomes is just how young he is, how athletic he is, how much power he has in his arm, and, and how aware he is. Just He, he just seems to, uh, yeah, just have ice in his veins, like you said earlier. He just, you know, takes on a challenge. Uh, they, they didn't blow teams out this year. 
uh, a lot of times coming from behind. They were actually behind 11 times this year by more than nine points, and they were nine and two in those games. And Mahomes missed the, the last game. So he's actually 25 and one in his last 26 NFL games. Uh, so, yeah, he's better than Brady uh, in a lot of parameters that we're seeing, except winning those Super Bowls. Uh, so yeah, who knows? Uh, you know, it's going to take a lot of years to get up to those six Super Bowls, possibly seven, uh, appearing 10 times and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the thing about the NFL that, that I find really frustrating and really, really tough is their salary cap really, really hinges and stops a lot of teams from having dynasties. And every single time a, a team does really well, then the, the crappy teams, the low-level teams that fire their coach and general manager start sniffing around the good teams and stealing all their coordinators and all their coaches and trying to get some of the players out of the, those teams. So you, you do well, everybody asks for more money, and all your coordinators leave. Now you have to reassemble another team and try to take on the, the NFL again and again and again. So I don't see Kansas City being able to keep this team together and continuing on, but I hope so because it's fun to watch. It's, it, it reminds me of the Rams' greatest show on turf. It's pretty exciting, and it's great football. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's great football. It's exciting. Maybe they figure something out because Vilacek figured it out. Yeah. He did. But the one thing that was always his constant was Tom Brady. Now, the one thing that's always going to be a constant for KC is going to be Patrick Mahomes. Right. But I agree with you. I think another constant should be definitely be Tyreek Hill and, Kel and Travis Kelsey should be along with him for the ride forever. But <laughs> I, I don't know if that can be a thing either, right? Yeah. Because those guys are going to be able to command quite the salary whenever their contracts come up. It's going to be tough, obviously. And then you're right, because, you know, like uh, the, those bottom feeders go, and that coordinator on KC is pretty good. They're going to offer him a ton of money. And, and you know what? Bottom-feeding teams, they need to do that because they suck. <laughs> and they need to find somebody that's good at winning because they have a losing culture. Like, for example, the Jets, whoever goes there, well, I don't know how you fix that. I, I don't even know how you institute winning in there. I don't yeah. even know if they know how to spell the word win. Yeah. I don't think they do. So – but yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem and I get it. And it's really hard to have a, have a dynasty going forward in this league. If, I, if I'm running an NFL team, I'm, I'm stepping up. And when I have this type of success with my team, I'm stepping up and I'm saying, Eric Bieniemy, I'm paying you extra million dollars on your salary every year. Their, their coaches' salaries aren't counting to any towards any type of cap. And Eric Bieniemy has shown that he's, one of the most incredible offensive minds in the league. And I'm saying to him, do you really want to go and take over a, a job with an organization that treats their players terribly, that doesn't know how to win, that really has a lot of problems existing. And you, your, your reputation has the ability to take a huge hit. You come in, everybody thinks you're the most brilliant mind in offensive football right now. And you suddenly take over the jets and everybody thinks you suck within a year or two. Do you want that? Do you want your coordinators to leave? And as a coordinator, I feel bad. These guys want to finally get a head coaching opportunity. 
but they have to take over the Jags and the Jets and the Browns and, and lousy bottom feeding teams time in year after year after year. They do. They do. But at least they're getting, they're negotiating uh, their salary, which is like quite substantial. If you want me to take on this horrible, horrible organization. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Just on a side note, uh, I hear Adam Gase, the coach of the Jets, is supposedly front runner for the offensive. Oh no, the defensive coordinator for the for the Seattle Seahawks. No, so J- no. J- Jamal Adams um, was asked the other day how he feels, and and uh, it was interesting to see what he had to say. Uh, he took the fifth, kind of, and just said, you know, hey, I'm not here to. And hold any grudges, I can bury the hatchet and all that kind of stuff. But man, I, I, I was shocked to hear this news. You know, he's not very good, right? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Oh. I, I'm, no, man. If I'm, I'm, if I'm any NFL team, I am giving that dude a wide berth. I'm not talking to him about anything, anything at all. Not even Cowboy. I'm sorry. You, you're just, you're not getting no shot with us, my friend. Thank you very much. Have yeah. a great day. <laughs> so we've got two weeks to go over uh, all the ins and outs of this Super Bowl. Uh, I'm excited. I think the NFL got what they would have really wished for if you would have asked uh, them and said, you know, what would have been the best matchup? Uh, the GOAT against the, 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 the kid, the, you know, the up-and-comer. Um, could they have asked for anything better? No. No, because you have all these crazy stories and great narratives about, you know, like you got this just young whippersnapper and Patrick Mahomes and he's going up against the old man that just keeps getting it done year after year, after freaking year, after freaking year, like after 10 years. So it, it, it's great storylines. Um, you have two of the most influential people in the NFL now playing against each other. Uh, yeah. And especially during this time that we're all in during this pandemic, you have an extreme amount of excitement now surrounding the Super Bowl. And the NFL could not be happier about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fantastic for the league. Uh, after this terrible mm-hmm. COVID year, and, you know, there's not, you know, definitely going to be losses compared to, you know, the, the huge juggernaut that the NFL has been for many, many years. There's, you know, the revenues are down, a lot of troubles, but, it's, um, you know, the, the greatest matchup that you really could have asked for if you were writing a Hollywood script and said, uh, who should be in the Super Bowl? This is just perfect. Uh, it's crazy that um, out of 55 Super Bowls, there's never been a host team. Uh, so, yeah, that helps Tampa Bay. And, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. I, I'm, I'm shocked at how many things are, um, yeah, sort of aligning for them. Uh I do want to ch- do want to chat super briefly on the amount of quarterbacks whose future are in question coming into this offseason. Uh, I have a list. Uh, it looks like about fifteen to twenty guys. This is crazy. Uh, and and Old Man Rivers just uh, came off the list by retiring. But uh, listen to this list and then uh, make make a comment if you can. Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott, Sam Darnold, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Cam Newton, Teddy Bridgewater, Mitchell Trubisky, Jameis Wilson, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Alex Smith, and Ben Roethlisberger. (laughs) 
Oh, and and I want to add one more, which is apparently Matt Ryan could be potentially trade bait because Arthur Blank came out and said that. Wow. So wow. You have, I think, an unprecedented amount of quarterbacks that could be playing musical chairs here for next year. Like, like I think this is the most probably we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, maybe it's because of the situation we're in, but it's more to do with just the fact that, you know what? Uh, teams need to make a change. And sometimes the biggest change, the most effective change can be at quarterback. Uh, I, some of these guys, uh, some of these teams obviously need to, like Carson Wentz needs to go away somewhere else, clearly. Yeah. And so for some of the other question marks, like even for Matt Ryan, good, but is he good enough? He got us to the promised land once, but does it look like we could ever get there again with it? You know, all these are questions that some of these teams need to ask themselves about their current standing with their current quarterbacks. And, or if you're in Aaron Rodgers situation, which is, I don't know if I trust my head coach. Trust may have been broken. Yeah. So that's why he's thinking of maybe moving on himself. So all of these things come into play. It should be a very interesting off season just to see just how many of these guys uh, are show up in, in different, uh, uniforms yeah i i'm not a fan of most coaches uh you know i i actually really dislike a lot of coaches in the nfl uh there's been quite the carousel recently it's, it seems like why i'm watching the nfl network or one of the uh, sports networks during on the ticker it's just constantly bombarding me with this guy interviewed for this job and they're thinking of hiring this guy and this team's going after this guy but but it is just insane the amount of movement in the coaching ranks and looking like the amount of movement in the quarterback ranks. Um, it's going to be one of the most unprecedented off seasons we've ever seen. But we've got two weeks to yeah get ready for this exciting Super Bowl, and uh, I'm sure a lot of information and things as the deck chairs shuffle, uh, we'll be able to break this down probably in our bye week and and uh, talk about some of the most impressive performances of the year but yeah wow uh, I can't believe that it turned out this this good for the NFL and uh, I'm I'm happy for them because uh, yeah it's been a severe down year financially and uh, you know you never like to see any business struggle financially especially one that we get so much enjoyment of no of course of course you, you never want to see that but uh, like you said like we've talked about before they couldn't have asked for a better result, which is the goat versus the kid. And uh, now we go forward with this amazing game that uh, we're looking ahead to. And I, I can't wait. I can't wait to watch it and see it and uh, be yelling at my TV. I can't wait. Yeah. For it. Luckily, our COVID restrictions are supposed to be ending on the Friday uh, before the Super Bowl. So let's hope um, that stays the way it is and there can actually be gatherings uh, locally here and around the around the continent, uh, around the world, a lot of people, you know, hopefully, will be watching this game because uh, it, it has the earmarks of one of the most exciting offensive uh, Super Bowls that we've ever seen. Uh, just the weapons that you and I talked about, uh, man. I just it'll be so cool to see uh, the battle going back and forth and and who can uh, take down the, the, the you know, the, the absolute best in the business. So this is going to be uh, incredible. I'm, I'm 
I haven't been this jacked for a Super Bowl in a while. Yeah, yeah, because, like, let's be honest. Every time that that dude, Tom Brady, has been in a Super Bowl that he's lost, it was barely lost. Yeah. Barely. It yeah. takes everything that you have to beat that guy in the Super Bowl. But KC can do it. They, they've got the offense, they've got the firepower, and they got the star power. But they, you know what? Both teams are going to have to bring their A game, and it's going to be an exciting game. Yeah. Tom Brady starting in his fourth Super Bowl in a five-season span for the second time in his career. So definitely don't write him off. Uh, I wouldn't be putting a huge amount of money on either team. Uh, uh, yeah, they really both legitimate have a shot at this. And a lot of people picked – uh, pick the Bucks to go this far. Uh, the Chiefs were uh, odds-on favorite right from the start, but a lot of people picked the Bucks, and there was uh, some lulls through the year where they thought, "Oh no, Brady's lost it. No way, he's he can't do it." But um, yeah, he stepped up in the in the time when he had to, and uh, took the Bucks there. And and now uh, people, yeah, yeah, get to question Belichick if he was uh, as as good as he always was, which is great because. I never was a fan of Belichick. I think he treats the media pretty poor. And, um, yeah, so it's maybe nice to see him struggle uh, for once and have to, yeah, try to uh, assemble another winning team. And, uh, you know, I, I, Tom Brady's aren't coming around the, the pipe, uh, Belichick, so they don't know what you're going to do with that organization. Oh, no, 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 because Tom Brady is not just like, you know how they say a generational player. He's just a one-time player, like yeah. once. Yeah. Like throughout all of NFL history. One guy. Never, yeah. Never <laughs> seen a guy like that. Never There's seen only a one. guy like that, and we may never see a guy like that ever again. Yeah. So. Okay, well, um, that was fun to break down the NFL. I, I want to jump on, talk about the UFC, but first we have to talk about our partners and sponsors. Um, Anchor has been a really fantastic partner and sponsor for complete sports media they have been fantastic at posting on multiple podcast platforms for us and they call themselves the easiest place to make a podcast so just go to anchor fm and follow the instructions and details and you might be able to be sitting in a seat just like jason and i are one day soon uh verbero has been a fantastic partner with us they are a hockey equipment and apparel company they are, are an industry leader in technology performance and value and as always, I want to point out the V350 stick as uh, a can't-miss stick. If you're a hockey player, get this in your hands, impress your teammates, impress your buddies, score the goals, get all the accolades, and you'll be happy. You'll be able to send uh, Verbero many checks over the years because uh, they have the best stick in the business. Uh, I want to mention Pampas and Possibilities. They design and sell dry florals, floral arrangements, and do installations. They are designers of handmade curated pretty things with West Coast vibes at reasonable prices. And also our partner Forever Living, they are the aloe vera company. They grow and manufacture aloe vera based products for health and beauty. And you just go to completesportsmedia.com. There'll be tons of details there. You can purchase products at reduced rates. And thank you so much to our sponsors as always. I really appreciate the support. So. Okay, well, uh, UFC was exciting this weekend. We had the very first pay-per-view card of the year, 2021. They go to Abu Dhabi. They open up this new Etihad Arena, and they had three cards in a week there. 
Uh, I want to focus first on the, this Saturday's card and the huge main event between Conor McGregor coming off a year layoff, facing Dustin Poirier, trying to be the, the top of the lightweight division. And a lot of people had Conor McGregor winning. Uh, he had, uh, you know, the betting, he was the betting favorite, uh, but Dustin Poirier proved that he has evolved a lot over those six years since the last fight they had together and was able to knock out uh, Conor for the first time in his career and uh, take over the crown as the, the best lightweight in the world currently. I had Poirier winning this fight. I had Poirier winning this fight just because I thought eventually inactivity on Conor's part would catch up to him at some point. I, I kind of, I've always thought that. I've always thought that if you want to be at the best and continue to be at the best at the top of any division in the UFC, you got to be active. You yep. got to, you got to have your timing down and stuff like that. And that's what seemed to be off when I saw Connor fight. Yeah. First round looked great, though. He looked fantastic. He looked really good. But I saw something during that first round, and I was like, that could be a concern. The calf kicks that Poirier was throwing were beginning to add up exponentially, very quickly. It was beginning to compromise his movement. And Connor is a man that needs his movement to be effective. Once you start compromising that, he's a lot less effective. Yeah. A lot that's effective. And then the second round came along, and all of a sudden, I as I was watching the fight, I had we had to rewind it because I didn't know what he got caught with or what Poirier saw that all of a sudden he just did the flurry. Because right. it seemed like he just decided, I sense weakness. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was over. And I was just like, oh man. What did he do and what did he see? And I think I think he clipped him with something, saw him rocked slightly, right. but it was enough for Poirier to know that's my that's my moment, that's my time. I take him out now. And he absolutely did that. Yeah. Oh man, did he ever uh, take advantage of that? Uh, yeah, it was hard to notice. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, it can be something very, very slight. Uh, but um, yeah, he jumped on him, took advantage. Uh, just kept hitting him relentlessly until Connor was down on the ground and Herb Dean had to come in and stop the fight. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was shocking. It was, yeah, we just haven't seen Connor get schooled like that. Uh, I thought Connor won the first round, uh, but his sharpness was off. He just didn't seem like the Connor of old to me. He, he definitely wasn't landing that left very often. And he was taking way too many kicks on that front leg. Uh, why didn't he change stances? Why didn't he check that kick more? Uh, is it something that, um, you know, maybe that ring rust uh, or that uh, cage rust was there? I think so. I think so. I, I think I think he just, you know, like with the repetition of being in the cage and just always being on and being, uh, being in that mentality of that fight-focused mentality, I think there was something to be said that he lost a little bit of that, a little bit of that in this particular match. And he just didn't do the things to adjust to whatever Poirier was throwing at him. He didn't do his adjustments, the minor adjustments within the fight. You know, yeah. I didn't see any of those things happen with him. And then all of a sudden, Poirier saw his moment and man, did he ever capitalize. Yeah. Man, did he ever capitalize for him. Uh, Poirier took uh, Connor down really early first round. Uh, was that a really smart move from him in his corner to, uh, you know, take that down, at least have that in the back of Connor's mind? 
Uh, do you think that was a really good game plan? Yes, of course it was because it gets Connor thinking that it's not just going to be stand up. You got to have to think about it all, which is always a good plan in any sort of MMA like fight yeah. that you have to have your opponent thinking of all the different ways that I can attack you. And so Poirier did that, got that out of the way, just so that Connor knew in the back of his mind, he could take me down. He could take me down at any point in time because he's already done that. So I have to be conscious of that too as well. Just gave him something more to think of other than kicks and strikes, you know? Kicks yeah. and punches is safe. Um, okay, before the fight, uh, last week, um, Connor, or sorry, uh, Dana White met with Khabib and Khabib's uh, statement coming out of that, according to Dana, was that I'm going to watch these two fights between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler, and then I'm going to make a decision on, on coming back if I see an incredible performance out of uh, either fight. Um, so are we expecting Khabib to come back? Because uh, we saw two amazing performances from both those fights. And they both ended in KOs. I just don't know if they were destructive enough for Habib. I, I don't know what he's looking for, man. But if he wanted stellar performances, it kind of doesn't get better than two knockouts. So yeah. I, I would say he should seriously be considering it at least because it wasn't your traditional war. It wasn't a three-round war with Hooker and it wasn't a five-round war with Connor. But the two guys that have read raised to the cream of the crop, took out their opponents pretty quick. So maybe, maybe he considered, considers it. But again, I don't know what he wants to see from these guys, you know? And then also too, I don't know how much of a push, how much he really wants to get back in there. Yeah. Uh, do you think uh, he would have been cheering for Connor because it's kind of a bigger fight, uh, all that animosity, he loved beating him up. Uh, he's already beat up Poirier once. Uh, do you think he would have actually been cheering for Connor? Yeah, he would have. And you want to know why? Money. More money. Pure money. That, that's the only reason why he cheers for Connor. Because if he wants to get paid a lot of more money, then if Connor wins, he gets paid a lot more money. But since the Diamonds, oh, since he won, oh, I don't know. I don't know now. Because then... You could, you could actually say the difference between the diamond winning and Connor winning is millions, literally millions of dollars, millions of dollars that now that he will not get. Do you know how much this fight cost Connor McGregor? I think this co cost Connor McGregor a hundred, hundred fifty million dollars yeah. uh, because of three fights that aren't going to happen right now. Uh, Khabib coming back. Uh, Manny Pacquiao is off the table supposedly now. And Jake Paul had offered $50 million to Conor McGregor to fight him. And I saw he put a tweet out that says, I'll offer him 10 grand now for fighting me, that bum. So, <laughs> so honestly, Conor has that aura of invincibility at times. Even, you know, YouTube guys are calling him out saying, I'll pay him 50 million. Boxers want to fight him because the massive payday. Uh, Khabib wants to come back and beat him uh, $150 million because he got KO'd. Should he have taken a bit of a lesser fight to come back before this? 
Tough to say, right? Because he's at this elevated level. And how do you take a lesser fight, like a tune-up fight, so to speak, when you're already at the upper echelon in your division? They do it all the time in boxing. They do it all the time in boxing. All the time. I know they do it all the time in boxing, but you don't really see that in the UFC. They don't really do that in the UFC. And you could say that it's his own fault for his own inactivity. He could have been fighting a couple more times last year. He chose not to. All right. So I would say the responsibility solely lies on his shoulders for being inactive. He says it wasn't his fault. He says that Dana White and, uh, you know, the matchmakers of the UFC, uh, they didn't keep him active. Um, do you think you, you think it lays more on Conor McGregor's shoulders? Uh, no. OK, so that, that's the, that's the stuff behind the scenes that we don't know about. Right. That's the stuff that's the negotiation talk. Here's he said, she said. Yeah. I think personally, for me, the guy wants to fight. Fight's gonna be made. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, yeah. if Carter wanted to really fight, fight would have been made. Okay. But it sounded like to me that he didn't want to fight, or the money wasn't right, or whatever it may be. But now that he's lost, I guess that money's never gonna be right. It's never gonna look like the way it was. That's for sure. So. So what does Connor do next? Uh, is he able to get a trilogy fight with Poirier? Is he able to get a trilogy fight with Nate Diaz? Uh, where does he go next? Well, you know what? Like, I, I know that he's already been clamoring for a rematch with Poirier because the rubber match. And yada, 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 yada. <sighs> I don't know if Poirier is even interested in that, to be honest with you. First off, number one, Poirier is more interested in, we got to figure out this belt situation. All right. That's number one. All right, but now for Connor going forward, if he wants to get right back on the horse again, he needs to fight somebody of a name. But I don't know if he should fight a name. He should probably fight it, like you were saying before. You probably have a tune-up fight now that he's lost. Maybe two, and then fight somebody up. Because he, he even spoke to it himself in his post-fight interview about inactivity. All right, well, then now that you've lost and now that you're – air of invincibility is literally shot and it's gone and all your money that you could have made like 150 million that's gone too so now that you're kind of like a normal dude again maybe it's just time for you to just fight normally for a year maybe that that's what you want to do i i i would think that would probably be the best idea for him so that he begins to get his reps in and begins to become the corner that we've known him to be did he lose his edge because he's so rich? Because he had that Floyd Mayweather big payday? Uh, does he is he this is he a different fighter now because he doesn't have to fight for money? Well, yeah, you could say all yes. I would say yes because if you go into a fight game to try to cement your legacy, uh, to feed your family, to make sure that you have enough money for to ride off into the sunset, and that you're your kids are good and everything else is good in your life. Well, then he's done all that, right? He's a former two, two, two division champion, champ, champ, you know, made a hundred million with Floyd Mayweather. He's got this proper 12 whiskey business that apparently his Irish people love to death and they're making (laughs) him a whole much more money. Right. So if your financial needs are taken care of, which I'm going to assume with Connor, they most certainly are. Then what's, the real push anymore what yeah. really drives you what what 
what what makes you want to get out of bed and say, like, I want to get my head beaten in by my teammates and by my training partners so that I can be the best in the world? Don't know if he still has it. You know, like sometimes that want and that need goes away. For every fighter, it's a little bit different. Find that spark to get that again. I don't know if Connor has it. I don't know if he wants to have it again. I guess we'll see in the upcoming months on what he decides to do with his future. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm sure we're going to swing back a little bit to both those guys again, but uh, why don't we discuss a little bit about Michael Chandler's dismantling of Dan Hooker. Uh, Hooker's taken some beatings uh, lately, uh, one of the top guys in the division, but uh, Michael Chandler came in and uh, proved he's no joke, uh, comes from Bellator, and um, yeah, has been waiting, chomping at the bit, trying to get a, an opportunity. Uh, how impressed were you with his performance? Poirier couldn't do that to Hooker. That's how impressed I am. Yeah. Not, nobody's done that to Hooker. Like that, that was as catastrophic a right hand as I've seen in a very, very long time. Like if you're going to make some waves, you're going to make a statement, especially after he cut his WWE promo in the post fight. Awesome <laughs> stuff, Mike. Way to go, buddy. Um, that, that's, that's the way you make noise. That's the way that you become eh. Now I'm a thing now. I'm a major big deal. I'm a big challenger for this division. Like now that Chandler did that to Hooker, he's right up there in the talks of if Habib doesn't come back, who's the belt go to? Because yeah. now you have a, I want to say you have a three horse race. Poirier, Chandler, Gaethje. Yeah. One, it's one of them three, man. So. Uh, Charlo, Char don't forget Charles Oliveira. Four, sorry, four yeah, guys. I think uh, the, uh, he should be in consideration. Um, yeah. I said I heard Poirier uh, make some comments when they said, uh, "Should you fight Chandler?" And he said, "Geez, I'd rather sell hot sauce than do something like that." I said, "He said, come on, the guy came in, beat the same guy I already beat. He's had one fight in the UFC. I've had 27, 28 fighting some of the biggest killers on the planet to get the, you know, my hands on a belt. Uh, he doesn't deserve this shot. Uh, go fight a few more times before you even should grace the octagon with me. And I was, I was impressed with Poirier saying that. No. Yeah, me too, because he's absolutely right. But you know what? So is Chandler. Do you want to know why? Dana White loves noise. Those guys that make a lot of noise, right? That's what Dana White does. I, that guy made a lot of noise. I love that guy. It's great. You know, like, so, yeah. but Poirier most certainly does have a point about, like, guys jumping the queue, which happens all the time anyway, so it doesn't really matter what he thinks. So, um, yeah, in, 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 in a perfect world, yes, he would have to kind of earn his stripes and have more fights. Don't know if that's ever going to happen. But I believe Poirier does have a point in the fact that if Habib doesn't come back, well, Chandler's not fighting for the belt. That's him and somebody else. Yeah. And for the most part, if I had to guess, it probably should be him and Gage or him um, and Oliveira. Right? Yeah. I, I think that's it. I think that I think those are the fights. Yeah, I uh, uh, you know, the, the three scenarios that I saw for Poirier, well, I guess four if Khabib comes back. Uh, Khabib number one. Uh, rematch with McGregor number two because you know the money's there for Poirier might as well. Uh, Nate Diaz or Charles Oliveira, and uh, yeah, uh, I could see all four of those 
uh, scenarios playing out quite well. Um, McGregor, I think he should fight Nate Diaz. Uh, you know, I, I, I feel like that trilogy will uh, garner a lot of interest and uh, it won't be, you know, super, he won't get beat super bad because Nate, you know, peppers him, but he doesn't, you know, hit him with KO shots type of thing. So it might be the smart move for Connor. Uh, also, the other, the other um, names that sort of came to mind were uh, Paul Felder uh, having an, a shot at some of these guys, Tony Ferguson uh, or RDA, uh, Raf, Rafael Dos Anjos uh, could be in the mix there. Um, yes, lots, uh, lots of interesting scenarios. And uh, this lightweight division, I think is the best division in the sport and has a, a lot of cool fights that can come together. I can't wait to see uh, what's next. Uh, Dan Hooker took his gloves off and left them in the cage. Uh, do you think that was at that moment saying I'm done? Uh, I, I, I want to say that might've been more of a thing of, he was just kind of, uh, frustrated with his performance. I think personally, because I don't know, you get, it's kind of young to call it quits. You know, mm -hmm. like I, yeah. I kind of thought when I saw it happen, that it was more of a frustration move more than anything else. Right, let's that, hope. That's, what, that's what I think. Yeah. Let's hope so. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's gotta be tough to take a loss like that. You, you know, you feel like you're on the precipice of, you know, taking a win and getting a title shot and, um, you know, the frustration that, uh, you know, must have been, there was a lot of trash talk with him and Chandler going into this. Uh, so, you know, he's got to go and regroup, but uh, I see some really good fights in his future. If he's uh, continuing, uh, I think Paul Felder deserves a shot against him. Maybe uh, Tony Ferguson, like I said, already in the mix and another guy, Kevin Lee, um, I, I love Kevin Lee and what he's brought to the table in the last couple of years. And I, I think a hooker Kevin Lee fight would be a must watch TV. Yeah, that, that would be a great fight. That would be a great fight because you got a bunch of really good fighters in this division. You got a, you got a whole bunch of cool stuff that can happen here and it, it's going to shake out in a certain way. I'm looking forward to it because I can't navigate this. I don't know what's supposed to happen anymore. I have no idea what's going to happen yeah, anymore, right? Yeah. But that's the great thing about the UFC and about these rankings and these fights is just trying to figure all of this stuff out. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me jealous of the uh, matchmakers. Uh, just be so fun to be able to break down a, a UFC card and then start thinking about who's next and what's next and and you know, start plotting, uh, putting fights together. It's got to be one of the coolest jobs in the world. I would say it's pretty cool because, like, when you get it right, you really get it right. You know what I mean? And then you 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 just entertain the fans to the utmost because they're just like, I don't know who put this fight together, but man, they deserve more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, the women's flyweight fight um, that preceded the two uh, co-main and main event was Jojo, Joanne Collarwood against Jessica Evil Eye. And uh, Jojo had a really great performance and a, and a big decision win. Uh, yeah, what did, you, what did you feel like uh, with this performance? Uh, I thought uh, Calderwood looked fantastic. Uh, she definitely had a more distinct advantage against uh, Jessica I, especially when it came to the strikes. I believe it was 123 to 56. That's, that's a decided advantage. Yeah. And um, Jessica, I, I think she languished 
too often by pushing up against the cage and not doing anything with the position. She didn't just didn't do enough with that. Yeah. And Calderwood, by far and away the busier fighter throughout the course of this fight, by yeah. far and away. And uh, yeah, that's why she got the win. But, but, big but. Calderwood gets the win. She's in the top five or whatever. She's in the conversation for maybe another fight. Then she gets uh, to fight the champ. Yeah. There's still a significant gap between the skill level of the champ yeah. and whoever the heck else she's fighting. So, yeah. Yeah. She, uh, yeah, they, they've talked about Shevchenko, um, but I think the, I think Shevchenko and um, Andraj are supposed to fight next. So uh, the, the, um, the, the Twitter talk today was um, Joanne Calderwood fighting uh, Lauren Murphy uh, as a tune-up fight to, to fight the, the winner of Valentina and Andrade. So that might be kind of great. Uh, I was pretty impressed with Jessica. I, uh, even though she had uh, had her gallbladder removed, uh, it was functioning at 9%. Uh, she was unsure of what was wrong with her over the last year or so uh she was um just saying there was given her so many health troubles and uh they finally had to do surgery and, and remove it for her uh so yeah i think she uh should have had a tune-up fight possibly uh <laughs> you know coming off something that major or just not taking this fight at all like wow i did not know that that's that's a major surgery <laughs> That you're you're coming back from and saying, all right, time to get in that cage and start getting hit and get like mad. Yeah. That's uh wow. But you know what? At least the good thing is that they found out what the problem was and they fixed the problem. And so now that she's not gonna have the difficulties she had in the past, and that's a good thing. She came into the fight with the second most uh, submission attempts in, in the history of the division. Uh, she was just headhunting this whole entire fight. Uh, JoJo's um, game plan was just so much more well-rounded. She was kicking. She was punching in the body. She was hitting in the head uh, and outlanded her, like you say, uh, you know, two to one at least. And um, yeah, lots of uh, impressive performance by, by JoJo. But um, yeah, she's got a long way to go to get in Valentina Shevchenko's class. But I like the fight with Lauren Murphy. I, I think uh, that might be a smart move. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great move because it was pretty clear to me that she still needed another fight before she could fight the champ. And that's, that's, that's a good matchmaking. That's great matchmaking. To see who the winner of that, then they fight the champ. Uh, do you want to talk anything about some of the other fights? Do you want to talk about the Sanchez-Miradoff uh, uh, middleweight fight um, yes, battle? I, yes, I do. Yes, I yeah. do. Because great. I was... Super impressed with Muradov. Super impressed. Like, uh, I thought his striking was definitely on point. And you could tell from the first round and the second round, his right hand was just slightly getting like closer, closer, and closer. And then the third round, it hit. And then that was game over. <laughs> it yeah. hit like a tank, man. And then it was literally game over for Sanchez. Sanchez was very game in this fight, very game. But it was very clear to me. The second fighter on the feet was Muradov. And uh, yeah, in the third round, he definitely showed it. He showed his worth for sure. Uh, Sanchez looked like a baby giraffe in there, uh, just being born. Uh, his legs weren't 
holding him up. <laughs> he was he was wobbling around. It was it was pretty hilarious to watch him trying, but his, his legs weren't keeping under him. That's for sure. No man, no. When he got cracked like that, I was just like, yeah, and that's the fight right there. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he's not going to last too much longer. But uh, And then that's what I was super impressed by. I was impressed by with Muradev and his whole approach to that fight. And he was just, it was just a slow dismantling. He just took his time with Sanchez and eventually took him out. Yeah, Jason Herzog uh, jumped in and had to fight, uh, had to stop the fight. Uh, he's on a 14-fight win streak. He's got 17 KOs out of his 25 wins. Uh, yeah, I see really good... Thanks for him and his future. Um, super impressive, big win. Great fight, but uh, nice to get the knockout in the third round, three minutes in. Uh, we don't see uh, that many knockouts happening that late in the fight, but um, yeah, really great. Uh, uh, the main card started with this women's strawweight fight between Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Hibas. And um, yeah, this was a, a really impressive fight. Uh, even though Hibas... Uh, was ranked number 10 and Rodriguez number eight. Um, she was uh, the favorite going in, but um, Rodriguez was uh, really, really impressive in her victory. And uh, yeah, you know, was able to move now into the top 10 and uh, really solidify her position in that strawweight division. Yeah. Cause he was, I would say she won the first, uh, she won the first round yeah. uh, with, uh, with superior ground control. She took the, got the takedown, stayed in that uh, in the top position the entirety of the round. But when the second round started, ah, that was a different story altogether. Because Rodriguez tagged her with a, I want to say right, caught her flush on the chin, shook her up to the point where uh, Rodriguez said, I win, I win. Yeah. And she's walking <laughs> away in victory. No, the fight was not stopped. So she had to, again, put back on her hard hat and continue to dismantle and then take Hebus out. And then that was the end of the fight. So she actually won the fight twice. Twice, Pretty yeah, close. I had to knock her out twice. Uh, <laughs> do you put a lot of blame on Herb Dean for getting too close and, and making her think that the fight was over? Right, he almost fell into her. He almost fell into the fighters because he's like, uh, 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 and so I was just like, oh, that's, that's different, it's weird. <laughs> uh, so I can see why the, there was confusion on her part. I could see that because he got close, and it looked like she didn't see any everything. So he could have just swept through, and then she thought, no, nah, the fight was over. But, you know, Herb was very clear about the fact that the fight is still ongoing. I have not stopped the fight. And he just looks at him and says, okay, well, I'm going to punch this young lady some more, and then it will be over. All right? Yeah. And then that's exactly what happened. So I, you know what, I, I see what Herb is doing. He's, give, he's trying to give the fighters all the possibilities in the world to win this fight or stay in the fight. That's great. Um, yeah. And he did that. Yeah. End of yeah, the day. Uh, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad he didn't stop it there. Cause uh, you know, it looked like he still uh, had a really legitimate shot to get up and, and keep fighting. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he, he looked like that baby giraffe a little bit too. He was wobbling, <laughs> getting in there. Oh, and he, uh, he made her think uh, that she won. Uh, it would have been tragic if Hebus came back and knocked her out uh, uh, yeah. after that being that close to getting getting the win. Yeah, yeah, no that that would have been that would have been bad. That would have been very very bad. But uh, that's not the way it went because Hebus was certainly rocked and she did not recover in time at all. And uh, Rodriguez got the win, decisive win at that.
Rodriguez is um, being told that uh, her next opponent is probably Claudia Gadelia. Uh, so that'll be another Brazilian matchup, which should be exciting. If uh, that fight doesn't happen, there's rumors that uh, Michelle Waters, Waterson and Joanna Jacek uh, could be in her mix. Uh, I think those are maybe a little too much of a step up in competition, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Uh, We'll see how she fares against some of these uh, really, really t tough women. Oh, yeah, man. Like, it, it's, that's going to be – that's great matchmaking. Um, but it's definitely a step up in competition. And I guess the only way that you know if you're ready is when you do do the step up, if you can hang with the best. And those are some of the best in the division. Uh, let's touch a little bit on the prelims. Um, I kind of would like to talk about the Tavares, uh, Brad Tavares, Antonio Carlos Jr. fight. Um, uh, really striker versus grappler matchup that I always really like to see. Uh, shoe face, uh, he tried taking Tavares down. The, some of the best takedown defense I've ever seen. Uh, really impressive performance by Tavares getting this decision win keeping it standing and being able to take the fight. Oh, yeah, man. Very impressive takedown defense. Uh, Carlos Jr. couldn't do anything. Could not get him down. And when he did, couldn't keep him down for more than like 10 seconds. The guy immediately popped back up. And uh, that's what got Tavares to win. Another thing I was very impressed by was his balance, especially when he was just hopping on one leg, especially when his leg was, Pretty much, he was doing standing splits yeah. over his head and still didn't fall down. Yeah. That uh, that was very, very, very impressive, and it must have been very disheartening for Carlos Junior. Going, what is going to take for me to take this guy down? Because I've just tried to do everything and nothing is working. And so, when you're putting in all that effort and getting no returns for said effort, uh, it's uh. It, it's just going to drain you as the fight goes on. And then Tavares was just peppering him as the fight went on as well. So yeah. great dominant win by Tavares. I heard that uh, the Hawaiian Tavares uh, jumping into the top 10 with this win. And uh, Marvin Vittori is supposedly uh, uh, being um, dangled in front of him. Uh, I think that's too much of a step up in competition, but uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah, that, that, I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit intrigued by that matchup. That could be, that could be a good matchup. But again, uh, Marvin Vittori has his own set of problems that Tavares would have to overcome. Might be too much, too soon. But you know what? Tavares has been in the UFC for quite some time. He's a vet. So, you know, at some point in time, he does have to step up and try these big boys. So maybe now is the time. Yeah, I think he's been in the UFC for 12 years. Uh, some of the – yeah, he's got – He's been uh, around for so long. No, this is his 11th year on the roster, and he's got 12 wins. Um, but, um, yeah, that's the best I've ever seen him fight by far. And uh, it's nice to see him, you know, be able to have that kind of balance, that kind of takedown defense. Um, yeah, I wanted him to get uh, matched up against another grappler and, and um, you know, show that again because uh, it was one of the best performances I've ever seen. And I, I – I, I prefer the strikers to the grapplers always have. And so um, it'd be nice to see him uh, take out another grappler and, and stop him from uh, his winning streak. So uh, the women's bantamweight fight between Juliana Pena and Sarah McMahon was um, a really exciting, fun fight. 
I, I enjoyed um, so much of it. There was a, a lot of luck going on in the fight. And uh, it looked like um, the first two rounds were split. Uh, went into the third round and, and Pena was able to get a great takedown, um, get the uh, rear naked choke and, um, and submit to McMahon. Uh, yeah, pretty impressive performance by Pena. Yeah, very impressive because McMahon, I think, took the first and then Pena took the second. But as the fight wore on, I thought that Pena was getting better. She was getting stronger as the fight wore on. And McMahon was slowing down or being worn down. So I wasn't surprised what happened in the third where she got the takedown and then managed to get her back and then get the rear naked choke for the finish. Um, uh, great win by Pena against a very, very game uh, McMahon. Uh, but as for Sarah McMahon, I don't know. She might be thinking it might be because I think her career is beginning to wind down now as we, yeah. as we speak. So I don't know how many more fights she has left. But it, it's been a pleasure to watch her fight, and uh, but yeah, this is this this fight definitely told me that maybe there's not that many left for her going forward. Yeah, well, she's uh, what is she, forty years old, and yeah, been fighting that long. It's uh, yeah, been a long career for her. Uh, did you see who Pena called out after the fight? Oh, oh, I did, and I can't remember who it was. Did did she call out? Did she call out the champ? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That's right. She called out the champ and let me say something about that. What are you doing? <laughs> Didn't you just come back? Like you have, she hasn't, you want to talk about being inactive. She hasn't really fought all that much yeah. and it's great win against Sarah McMahon, but come on now. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah. She said she's beat three former champs before and uh, she's ready for Amanda. Amanda's on a layoff. So, you know, she might have a little bit of rust, but uh, they're not in the same stratosphere when you you know think of fighters uh in the women's uh in the women's game so uh yeah i don't see that happening but um there's been talk today on possibility of holly holm or uh, raquel pennington being her next opponent yeah it's great they're gonna lose uh so <laughs> i i don't know man like it, Right now, Nunes has the same problem as Shevchenko. No, I'm talking about Pena fighting uh, Pennington or Holm. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Pena yeah. fighting Pennington. Oh, okay, that's what you're talking about. Juliana, okay. Juliana fighting Holly or, or Rocky there, yeah. Okay, okay. So that that's that's a good, that's good. I, I like that. That that probably makes sense that that would be the fight that you would make. And then as she climbs her way up to fighting Nunes, yeah. But again, I, I do want to make that point. There's still this gap. This, oh, man. This, this overall gap. There's Big still gap. a little gap between all of the other women and then the champ. Yeah. The same problem that Shevchenko has, where it's like, well, whoever the heck comes out of that that, that, barrack, that mess, well, they got to fight me. And then they're probably going to lose quick. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We both know uh, how much far and away Amanda Nunes against the competition. Uh, yeah. It's not really a, not really uh, yeah. Legitimate chances. Most of these women have, uh, yeah, she's just, she's the best fighter. Uh, we'll see uh, with this long layoff, um, you know, if it does any damage to uh, her abilities, but uh, you know, we, we doubt it. Um, you know, she's, she's the best fighter of all time and, and will continue to be, I'm sure for many years to come. Um, the light heavyweight fight between Khalil Roundtree Jr. 
and Martin Prachnio. Uh, was a great uh, battle. Two really tough guys. And uh, that started off the preliminary card. Uh, what did you think of this one? I thought it was good. You know, like it was it a was good, tough fight between these two fighters. Um, uh, Khalil Roundtree looked good in this fight. Uh, but uh, uh, Prachnio won this fight, right? He did, yeah. He won yeah. the decision, yeah. He won the decision. Yeah. And I thought that Prachnio won, he won the fight. Just the, I, I just thought he was busier. You know, like, I mean, like, I thought he was busier. I thought he had the better strikes and uh, like, and he mixed up the ground and the strikes really well. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, I wanted to mention a few things about Roundtree that uh, came to light um, as the fight was on. Um, he's Khalil Roundtree Jr. Khalil Roundtree Sr. was the manager of the group Boys to Men back in the day. And uh, somebody decided they wanted to rob Boys to Men. And when they went in to do the robbery, his dad ended up getting shot and killed. Uh, Khalil was only two years old at the time, and his dad was tragically murdered over this robbery. And um, yeah, that was shocking. I hadn't heard that until uh, Saturday night. No, I've never heard that story before, man. That is, that is truly is it saddening. It really is over li literally nothing. Yeah. The man died over nothing. That's that's a travesty. Uh, he said he was really having a hard time when he was a kid. Uh, no father, um, a lot of troubles um, uh, in a bad community, a lot of um, things that weren't going very well. He was kind of suicidal. He didn't really care if he, he lived. Uh, he said he remembers being 19 years old. He was 300 pounds. He smoked two packs of cigarettes a day drank two two-liter bottles of Dr. Pepper, never had a vegetable for many years and only ate fast food. Didn't care about his, his body, didn't care about himself at all until his brother said, you got to get yourself off the couch. You got to get yourself into the gym. I, I wanted to see you get in better shape. You've got, you know, you're so, you're so big. You're so, you got so much ability. I think uh, athletically that I think, you know, you have a chance at this and it turned his life around. He was able to get in shape, uh, become competitive, finally get himself in the UFC and uh, make a life for himself. And a uh, really great comeback story from a guy that had some tragedy. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a fantastic story. It's a story that uh, anybody can relate to. Like when you have these obstacles that you encounter in life that, uh, that you, somehow need to overcome and he's done all those things and he's done it well and now he's uh he's a, a solid pro and a vet in the ufc and he, i'm sure his father would be very very proud of what he's accomplished yeah 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 i i, I i'm gonna be cheering for him a lot more now to hear his backstory uh, yeah tough tough life but um i'm glad he's uh, been able to uh, make his way into the UFC and he's making a living and he's a, a really tough guy and he's down at light heavyweight, which uh, is 205. He said it's very hard to get to 205 because he spent most of his life around 300 pounds. So uh, big, big guy, big body and a lot of power in his, in his shots. So uh, keep your eye out for Khalil and um, yeah, look online a little bit. Uh, there's a lot on a story of his, of his father. His father was supposedly one of the greatest, um, guys that uh, 
contributed his time, lots and lots of money to many causes. Uh, really, a lot of really nice stories about the guy. And, and uh, yeah, it was very tragic uh, that he was killed over something stupid as a robbery. Of course it is. You know, like you never want to see, hear about these stories or see this kind of thing happen because it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's nonsensical. Yeah. It doesn't even make any sense, right? Um, okay, early prelims real quick. Uh, we don't want to get too much into it, but uh, the catchweight fight, 150 pounds between Mobsar Evulev and Nick the Carney Lentz. Uh, this ended up being Nick Lentz's last fight in the UFC. He's retired, uh, said he can't come back. Uh, he said he suffered a dam uh, damage from an eye poke his previous fight, and it left him with only 40% vision. Uh, he thought he would try it out and see if he was able to uh, still fight at this level. Uh, he said he just, um, yeah, couldn't. I don't know why uh, this wasn't um, found out by the, the uh, officials and the doctors going into this fight, but he said he was basically fighting one eye and uh, he took a seriously bad beating and he um, hung up his gloves. He said he's, he's retired and done from the UFC from now on. Well, that's probably a good idea, um, especially because you can't fight with one eye. I don't think anybody can or should. No. So uh, unfortunate that, unfortunately, he suffered that damage to his eye that's now going to affect him for the rest of his life. That sucks. Uh, but he clearly made the right move in hanging them up because he can't fight anymore. Yeah. It's, it's a shame. He had a couple of chances to get a guillotine choke and uh, almost finished it on a couple of occasions, but Evulev definitely showed a lot of moxie and uh, powered his way out of them and was able to take the victory. Evulev is uh, on his way up, I believe, and uh, he has shown that he has the ability to, uh, to get through these tough fights and win these tough fights. Yes, he won the tough fight against the one-eyed fighter, but he still has the ability to get through these tough fights. And uh, I, I think the future looks pretty bright for that, that man. Yeah. Uh, talk today about Eviloev facing either Bryce Mitchell, Giga Gachaji, or Gavin Tucker. So all three named fighters. Uh, Eviloev is 14-0 and 0 and, um, yeah, on the severe rise on the early prelims. But I think he'll get a, a, a really good shot at being uh, – on a prelims or a main card very soon. Yes, he, he should because he's undefeated. So usually fighters of that ilk uh, get moved up the ranks pretty quick. Yeah. Okay, do you want to uh, touch... Uh, there was three fights this week, um, three cards this week, sorry. 36 fights all in all, I think it was. Uh, why don't we just touch uh, on the main event of Wednesday's card? It was an early morning card, so I, I wasn't able to see it live, but... Uh, tell me about uh, your thoughts on the main event between Michael Chiesa and Neil Magny. Okay, so basically this is what I want to say. You had two guys that are, are used to just grinding out wins or just using their stamina and endurance to beat up the other person. And they both do that. They do that very well. Yep. So I was very interested to see how this fight's going to look when two guys do the same thing, kind of, to a certain point. Right. It was... It was actually as technical a grappling fight as I've ever seen. It was super technical, and these guys brought it. But at the end of the day, 
The main difference, and the reason why Kiesa won this fight over Magny was he won the 50-50 scrambles. Yeah. He consistently always won the 50-50 scrambles to the point that I think Neil Magny may have won two out of 20. You know what I mean? Like it was that much. That it was much. that big a difference. Yeah. It, when they were ever they were scrambling around and trying to get top position to this or that. Kiesa always came out on top of those scrambles. And when he came out on top, he kept his top position and was able to ground out usually at the end of the rounds all the time. That's what got him the win. Uh, Kiesa looked fantastic in this fight. And he looked, again, super strong, super like, – like he, he looks like a huge welterweight at 170. I still don't understand how he got down to 155. I really don't get that at all. Yeah, he's a big body, and um, yeah, he was—he definitely looked way bigger than Magny, who's uh, you know pretty slight. But um, Kiesa, yeah, just in every scramble, he just had the upper hand. He was able to transition when Magny would would make attempts to get on top or or move to his submission attempts. And oh man, it was uh, yeah one of the best performances I've seen. And I was glad it was a five round fight because it was um, really fun and exciting and, and one of the best grappling matches we've seen in a really long time and uh Kiesa yeah he's definitely gonna move up the ranks heavily with this huge performance and, and a main event oh yeah man and also too this was the first time that Kiesa's actually been in a five-round fight where he went into those uh championship rounds yes. he's never done that before but Maggie's done it a, a lot time yeah. I wasn't surprised that he had uh gas in the tank Kiesa because he always has gas in the tank yeah. and so I didn't think that those extra rounds would be a problem for him. And they clearly were not. They yeah. weren't a problem for him at all. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun to have a midweek card. I wish it wasn't uh, nine in the morning, but uh, I'm glad they're, um, yeah, they had one. And a lot of um, lesser lights got an opportunity to get some uh, USC fight experience. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a cool to see three cards within a week in Abu Dhabi. And uh, now they're back in Vegas uh, coming up this Saturday. Uh, we've got the main event is a heavyweight battle between Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkov. Um, yeah, I mean, either one you know, could land that shot and, and take each other out. Uh, I expect uh, fireworks in this one for sure. I expect fireworks. I expect it to be, could be a very short fight. Because <laughs> that's yeah. what it always could be with the heavyweight. But I expect somebody to go to sleep for a certain amount of time in this particular fight. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to the next pay-per-view, uh, two Saturdays from now, uh, Saturday, February 13th, also at the Apex uh, in Vegas. Uh, the main event there is Kamara Usman against Gilbert Burns. Uh, Burns has been on a meteoric rise, Usman uh, being the champ. Uh, it's going to be, uh, yeah, it should be an amazingly great, fun battle. Uh, I, I see Usman being the better fighter, but uh, Burns is tough, and uh, man, he is a pit bull. Yeah, he is a pit bull, and these guys used to be training partners. They, they used to be friends. They used to be. Not anymore, though, because the belt's on the line. I got to get that belt. And I'm, I'm super looking forward to it. I, I, I really want to see the dynamics between these two fighters because I think Burns brings something else to the table that Kamaro's not used to, which is like uh, he's, a, he's a very good and skilled striker. And I, let's be honest here. He's familiar with Kamaro. Knows how he moves. Yeah. So is he going to use that to his advantage? And on the flip side, tomorrow can also use that against Gilbert because he's familiar with Gilbert. It's it's going to be fun 
fight to see when these two guys are so familiar with each other and now they have to fight with everything on the line. Yeah, we don't get to see uh, guys in, from the same camp fight each other too often anymore. And um, But, uh, yeah, it'll be great because um, they know each other's tendencies, uh, you know, have, have seen each other for years competing and, and practicing and being in, in the gym together. Uh, yeah, it's gonna, it, it's a really intriguing, cool matchup. And, and uh, yeah, I think it's exciting. There's a lot of really cool uh, fights on this card, actually. The co-main event has Uriah Hall against Chris Weidman, who's had a fantastic career, a little bit up and down lately. But Uriah Hall, you can say the same thing. A lot of um, inconsistencies with his game, but incredibly talented, uh, very athletic guy. Yeah, and also too, this you can kind of say for both of these fighters, it could be kind of like a crossroads fight because yeah. somebody will continue going up the ranks and somebody's going to fall, and they may not be able to find their way back. Yep. So, uh, very interesting fight, great matchmaking again. Uh, I'm I'm very interested to see how this fight plays out. Yeah, uh, some of the other fights on the card: Macy Barber fights Alexa Grasso in women's flyweight. Middleweight fight between Kelvin Gastelum and Ian Heinish. Uh, bantamweight fight between Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. Uh, a lot of really cool, uh, fun fights. And um, this UFC pay-per-view supposedly was, uh, I think they said top three of all time, uh, which blew me away and uh, shocks me. I, I guess uh, you, you see the power of Conor McGregor, but uh, yeah, um, one of the, the third, I think they said the third highest pay-per-view numbers ever in UFC history. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to say that Conor McGregor doesn't have pull. He has pull. I'm going to say this more so than anything else. I'm going to say it's more the power of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. that's, why you're, that's why those numbers are up because people are going to be ordering this UFC because well, they're going to be at home and they can't go to their friend's place to watch it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. True that. Yeah. Uh, that's what I had to do. Yeah. I, I would have usually been um, at the bar watching it, but uh, I decided to watch it at home. Uh, Dana White's um, jumping on, trying to get rid of all the streaming. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you think that, that's a possibility? Nope. Nope. I don't. I don't, I don't think that's a pot. I think that he can always make a statement. I think he can uh, catch a couple of these guys here and there. Now, if you're going to ask me, can he shut it, it all down? Shut it down completely? No, man. No, 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 no. He's not, he's not Jesus. No, you can't do that. <laughs> but he's going to try, though, because yeah. that's what he does. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, um, fantastic card. Uh, great weekend of fighting. Uh, lots to look ahead to. Um, Great pay-per-view, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to both uh, witness it and break it down. Uh, why don't we, before we finish the, this podcast, talk about the NBA briefly. A uh, few stories that come to mind for me. Uh, let's, yeah, I guess let's get into uh, some of the stuff. Uh, Steph Curry passed Reggie Miller on the three-point list, uh, only chasing Ray Allen. Uh, on Saturday, Steph was able to become second all-time on the three-point list. Uh, pretty impressive career. And, and uh, yeah, Reggie Miller was very humble with it. And it uh, looks like Steph's probably going to break this record as long as he stays healthy, maybe the end of next season. Yeah, and it's awesome to see. It's awesome to see that the passing the torch and that Reggie Miller is just so gracious with the passing of said torch, which I'm sure Ray Allen will be doing the same. 
when he passes him eventually, because that's definitely going to be a thing. And then I'm more interested on where he ends. How many threes is he going to end with by the time his career is said and done? Yeah. Is it going to be like 5,000? <laughs> Could be. Yeah. I don't know. It, yeah. But it's going to, it's going to be so many threes that I believe that that record's not going to be broken like anytime soon. Yeah. Or, and again, not anytime soon. I'm not going to say ever, but it's just not going to be broken probably within our lifespan. Yeah, might be out of reach. Yeah. Uh, he's got 2,562 threes. Reggie Miller had 2,560. Ray Allen has 2,973. So uh, he needs 412 three-pointers to surpass him. He's averaging about 4.2 threes a game this season. Uh, at this current pace, it would take 98 more games. So uh, projected towards the end of next season, as long as he stays healthy. And, and uh, yeah, he's still, still got it, uh, still playing at an elite level and getting a lot of amazing threes. Um, James Harden is on an incredible pace um, and has the ability maybe to be up there as well. And uh, we'll see if it changes now that he's in Brooklyn, but when he was in Houston, uh, they just allowed him to go down and shoot as many threes as he wanted to and doesn't even have to pass the ball. And, <laughs> and so maybe in Brooklyn, he's going to get a few less chances. Uh, what have you thought so far about this uh, experiment and um, the big three there in Brooklyn? Okay, so I, I believe they finally won their first game, like just the other day, the big three against Miami. That was depleted. They were sorely depleted. Going against the Miami team that didn't have all their best players. Didn't have Jimmy or, or, uh, Tyler, or Hero. Here, Tyler Hero. Both of those guys were up. Yeah, and then Bam Adebayo had a huge game. But at the same time, I see a very big problem with the Nets going forward. Um, I, I What is it? Oh, right. Defense. Make some defense every <laughs> once in a while, ladies and gentlemen, especially if you want to win. They don't play no defense. No. They don't. They don't. No. They don't like it. I don't think they're into it. They just don't <laughs> want to do it. So, I they, they didn't win against the Cavs. Right? We're talking about the Cleveland Cavs. <laughs> the Cleveland Cavs. I know. I, I sent you that uh, text. I said the score was 147 to 135, and Cleveland <laughs> won the game. I'm like, what? how does that even happen? Yeah. No. It, it first off, I was like. That can't be right. Look at that again. <laughs> and and also, too, Kyrie got torched in that game. Sexton lit him up. Oh, man, did he ever. Yeah. He lit him up, man. I've and never seen to... Sexton play that good in, in his life. No, no. That's because Kyrie can't play no defense. You know, like, they, they, but as a whole, as a whole for the Nets team, they're not playing any defense, man. And so I don't understand how they expect to make it very far in the playoffs if they, you can't just outscore everybody all the time. That's not going to work. No. You're, you're going to need to get stops, so to speak. And they're not doing any of that. And because I, I don't, I don't think it interests them. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. That's got to be tough. Uh, I, I, many times I'm going to shake my head throughout the year when I think of, of Brooklyn and the, the task at hand for Steve Nash, trying to uh, get them uh, on the right track and get them wins and get them up into a playoff position. Uh, He's, uh, yeah, I think it's going to age him. I think uh, he's going to look like an old man. 
uh, you know, he's got some of the most incredible weapons that have ever been produced by man, but um, to get them all together, to get them play defense, to get them to understand what it takes to win basketball games, uh, it's going to be tough. Oh, yeah, or to get them to just, I don't know, show up for games every once in a while, like Kyrie and stuff like that, and that would be great too. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on the Kyrie thing just for a brief sec. Um, he, he apparently has been dealing with some, um, some, some, some mental stuff, uh, some depression or whatever it is that he's going through. And that's obviously, that's a big deal at, yeah. at this point in time for all of us that are all going through this crazy weirdness of the pandemic and everything else and yeah. being more isolated than we ever have been and all of that. So I understand and I, I appreciate the fact that he's now reached out and he's gotten help. But I think, I believe you owe it to those people that pay your paycheck, uh, for those people that you are co-workers with, to at least say something. Yeah. You don't have to be yeah. like, like, like have, the, have it all on paper of exactly what's going on with you. But you got to tell them something sure. as opposed to, what you did do, which is tell them nothing. I, I think agree. Yeah. the organization, I think your coworkers, I think these people deserve more than that. Yeah. Can they yeah. allude to that? Kind of. But I hope going forward, if he does need to take another step back and stuff, if he's still suffering, well, obviously everybody deserves to get help. Hopefully he finds the help that he needs. But please just voice it. Just say something. Nobody will have a problem if you just say that. Then it's fine. Take as much time as you need, man. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, um, over the years, uh, we've been talking a lot about mental health uh, issues and troubles with people, but, uh, you know, with this pandemic uh, upon us and all the ins and outs of, of that, um, you know, there's a lot more of us, uh, you know, suffering. And I'm glad we finally got to hear a little bit of the reason why he took a hiatus, but you're right. Uh, he should have let his teammates know, let the organization know. Uh, you know, don't, you don't have to divulge much like you say, but uh, it's not a, a really good look. And it, it makes a lot of teammates, I'm sure, frustrated when suddenly one of their star players is just missing and nobody knows why. Um, the, we've been very critical on Kyrie and he's kind of deserved a lot of the uh, negative talk, but uh, he did one amazing thing over this time when he was away. He decided to step up and he bought a house for George Floyd's family. And um, I got to give severe props to, uh, to him. Um, there's a lot of rich people in the world. There's a lot of people on this Black Lives Matter movement. And he's the only one that had made a move like this. And uh, yeah, it, it touches me actually, uh, you know, for him to go and do this. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And, you know, like, and I, and I see part of the thing that he's probably struggling with, which is I'm of a certain celebrity status, man, that's quite famous. I feel that I should be doing more, but what should I be doing? What is more for me? I think that was possibly a question that he had been struggling with. Yeah. That's a step in the right direction. Clearly that's a step in the right direction. And now that he has, said mentors, I believe, behind him to guide him so that he can do more and play the game that he loves. Hopefully he can stay on this track. Hopefully all of this can, you know, culminate to something beautiful at the end of the day. 
which yeah. is beginning to start right now. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, the game has been trending towards the small man. NBA game has been trending towards guards and three-point shooters. Uh, we saw Houston decide we don't even need a big man. We don't need centers. We just need a lot of small guys. Got rid of Clint Capella. Uh, the big man has really been dominant in the last few weeks in the NBA. I want to read out some of the numbers. Uh, this was actually a tweet from Kendrick Perkins, who uh, loves the big man and uh, talks about them a lot. Uh, Joel Embiid had 33 points, 14 rebounds the other day. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, 28 points, 17 boards. You mentioned Bam Adebayo, 41 points, nine dimes. Uh, Anthony Davis, 37 in only 28 minutes. Jokic had 29 points, 22 boards, and six dimes. And Clint Capella had a huge game as well. Uh, yeah, are we seeing a really big man resurgence uh, that uh, it looked like they might be dead forever? Well, Hopefully we do because you know what big men are, are they're still integral and they're important to the game because if you got a little bunch of little dudes around the boards when you're getting rebounds, well, you're gonna get a lot of rebounds. <laughs> None of those little dudes are gonna bother you. Yeah. You're gonna sweep away like flies, like they are. You're gonna grab that board, outlet pass, right? So yeah. I this could be the year. I know there's been there's been some talk of this, and I think there's some validity to it. This could be the year that we finally see an MVP be a big man, like a yeah. legitimate big man. Yeah, the last guy's Shaq, and uh, that was like 2000 or something. something. So, uh, yeah. yeah, long, long time since we, we've seen a, a big man uh, dominate and even be in the MVP talk this uh, this this far into the season. Uh, okay, why don't we touch real brief on um, the Celtics' Jalen Brown. He's actually having an, a massive, massive uh, imp improved player campaign he had 33 points in only 19 minutes the other game Jason Tatum's out with COVID-19 so he stepped up and he's um, really proving to be such a force uh, he's a guy that can guard one through four and he can score 30 points a night he's actually the uh, sixth highest scorer in the NBA right now at 29.3 points uh, really looking like a, a, a very big superstar yeah yeah because like he was and he's got, a, he's got one of the best running mates you could ever have in Jason Tatum to play alongside, right? And then now you're seeing what happens if that guy goes down. Well, Jalen Brown can clearly step his game up to yet another level, which is yeah. super impressive. But what's more impressive is that Jalen Brown is a two-way player. He can guard you up and he can score. That's a rarity right now in this day and age in the NBA where you can actually have a guy that can do both, defense yeah. and offense. I know it's a novel idea, but uh, a lot of these guys don't do the defense part. But I think that's fantastic for Jalen, um, and I think we're just going to see nothing but continued growth with him throughout the course of this season. Is the is defense in the NBA uh, going to be going the way of the big men? Uh, is it going to go the way of the dodo bird? Uh, is it is it almost done? Uh, have they given up? Okay, let's so let's be honest, man. Like I, I'm seeing scores that I've never thought I'd see before. Like in a like in in not not when it goes into overtime, but like just in the in the the regulation. game itself yeah. in regulation time. Like you you have games that can go up to 130, 140 points. You know what that tells me? 
They didn't bother playing any defense. They just went, ah, all right. You said I'd take that three. I'm, I'm going to do this a little bit. Ah, ah, okay. It's already done. So, you know, like I, I, I would love to see, I, oh man, I would love to see a team go back to, you remember how the Detroit Pistons played yeah. back in the day with Ben Wallace and Rashid, Sean Phillips, Rip Loved Hamilton. I, I would, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see like a team just say, you know what, we're just going to lock up people. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to see that ever again. I, I don't, I don't know if that's ever going to be a thing because it seems that the players are more in tune with offense is offense and defense is whatever. And uh, I don't think enough players put enough emphasis on the defensive part. They, they kind of do when playoffs start, because then all of a sudden that's kind of an important thing. They remember about it, but to see a team consistently play great D night in, night out. I don't know if we're going to see that ever again. Yeah. Well, uh, we've got a sports center generation here that uh, lots of times defensively, you're not getting on the highlights. If you shoot threes and you get spectacular dunks, uh, you're going to be on the highlight package night in, night out. You can be impressed. Uh, you can impress your family, your friends. Uh, they, they're able to see you quite often on sports center. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I really am sad about it because I don't love, I don't like it actually uh, all-star games and we're seeing scores of 175 to 173 and, and uh, it's starting to trend that way in the regular season with basketball and it's not a good look. Uh, basketball is just so much better, better when there's some physicality and there's some defense and uh, you know, it's tough to score, not just go down and score every time down the floor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it, it's, it's, it's great when there's actually a little bit of resistance, you know, as opposed to like a matador, like, Oh, Hey, ah, man, you just went right down the lane, a huge dunk. And, you know, like I, 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 I appreciate defense because defense can win you those games. Defense can win you championships. Uh, a great example of that was the Miami heat and how they got past the Celtics with Adebayo doing that ridiculous block on Jason Tatum. Yeah. That was a ridiculous block. Yeah. That's defense. That's what can win you. That's what wins you games. That's what wins you, gets you these championships. I wish that more players would invest in their defense, invest in that part of the game. Because you know what? One of the greatest that ever did it, I think he was a nine-time defense on the nine-time defensive all-NBA all team, which was Michael Jordan. Yeah. He invested in defense. Sure so did. if you got a yeah. guy like that, that magnitude, that understood that defense is important, then I understand why none of these young players understand that defense is just as important. You know? Yeah. Uh, the Raptors have turned things around a bit and they're, uh, they're playing quite well. And one of the reasons is a great defense. Um, uh, I saw them cause, uh, I think, 21 turnovers last game. Uh, we're able to get a lot of fast breaks off those turnovers. And we're able to, uh, even though they didn't have uh, Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam, they're able to get a big win. And uh, they're inching towards 500 team. And, um, yeah, looking really solid. Last game, I really loved watching them play, and they played really hard. You knew that eventually they would come around, right? Like, I, I actually knew that because they're too good a team. And, yes, the, the new parts needed to mesh. Finally, it looks like that's beginning to happen because the team that they were wasn't indicative of the team that they are. Yeah. You know, so yeah. – it's good to see that, you know, the winds are beginning to pile up. They're beginning to figure it out. And uh, now we can look forward to seeing what kind of noise they can actually make in the East. 
I mentioned Shaq briefly earlier. Uh, he's going to come up in this conversation again because Giannis Antetokounmpo is starting to get his free throws looking like Shaq. His percentage has diminished, 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 diminished. He actually got called for a 10-second delay uh, on the free throw line the other day because he was standing there so long, didn't want to shoot the free throw because he knew he wasn't going to make it. Uh, they gave him a 10-second violation. Nope, that free throw doesn't count. Uh, for the rest of the game, he's standing on the free throw line, and the Clippers were starting to count, and they were yelling out six, seven, eight, trying to get him another 10-second violation. Uh, his numbers are ridiculous right now. He started his NBA career, 76% uh, shooter first season, 73 the next season. Last year, down to 63%, and this year, 59%. And he's had some horrific attempts recently. Uh, I don't know what's wrong. I think it has to be mental, uh, but it's it's scary to watch. I, I, I'm i going to be honest. Um, I've looked at some videos of his uh, shooting form. When he first came into the league and what his shooting form is now, I personally think there's something wrong with the shooting. Okay. I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's right. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I don't think it's right. Like it just, it doesn't look fluid. It doesn't look, it doesn't look like a natural shooting form. It looks like it's forced. I like, see. especially when he takes threes, like, you know, when you at the foul line and when you take a three, that shooting form should be the same. Right. Yeah. Sure. But the shooting form at the three-point line, I've never liked, especially the, like how it was when he first came into the league, way better than what it is now. Yeah. It's just better. Like, it was just better. It just seemed to flow nicer and better. And I would say, I would dare say, you can see the results from his free throw percentage as he's gone on in the years. It's going down, not up. Yeah. It's got to go up, man. So... I think I, I, I firmly believe that his problem is related to shooting form and something needs to change. Or I would say he should have gone back to how he used to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that he could be, uh, you know, considered MVP of the NBA and um, yeah, can't shoot threes, can't shoot uh, free throws and uh, looking really lost out there. Um, yeah. I'm amazed that, Milwaukee uh, isn't, you know, jumping on this, getting coaches in his face and changing things and getting him uh, better. Cause yeah, it's scary. Um, you know, they have uh, a lot of these tight games. Once they hit the playoffs, uh, they're going to lose games. If he's not able to shoot outside and shoot from the free throw line, uh, they're going to just do that old hack a shack, hack a Giannis. And uh, yeah, they're not going to be able to win. A lot of people thought, you know, Milwaukee has the, has a chance of the last few years, but uh, with their top guy struggling this bad, I don't see it happening. It's going to be really, really tough. And then now all of a sudden the narrative is going to change to kind of like what Shaq would say. Oh, I make him when I need to. I make him when it, when it <laughs> You know, yeah. like that's what he's going to have to start saying. He's going to have to start saying stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know. They, Obviously, clearly, obviously, he needs more practice on his free throws. I don't know if that percentage is going to go up because, like I said, I think his shooting mechanics are not great. No. So, yeah. 
Um, do you see the NBA being able to uh, get all teams to that 72 game schedule? Uh, Washington had to miss six straight games. Uh, Memphis has missed five straight games now. Uh, I know they only put out the first half of the schedule, but uh, how is it possible for them to make this up uh, in the second half of the schedule? I kind of thought from what I've seen anyways, that, you know, you have NBA games on every single day, every single day that it was ambitious to begin with, especially within the environment that we're in. I don't know if they can. Uh, and especially because going forward, you're still going to have all these problems. You're still going to have teams missing games. Um, and this is not due to the player's inability to follow the rules. I think that everybody's following the rules. I think it's more to the point that the country's in peril <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that there's COVID everywhere. So, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's more to, more to the point than anything else. And so with that being said, I, I don't know, man. Yeah. If they want to make that 72 games, they might have to extend the season like by a couple of weeks, yeah. two to three, maybe, if they still want to do that. But it, it's not looking great right now. The NBA has uh, sort of went on record of saying they don't want to go up against the Olympics, which is in July. They're hoping to not have to have people make a choice between watching the Olympics on TV or their games. So, um, you know, maybe there is a a shortened window for them there. Uh, Miami has made an announcement that they are going to start allowing fans into their arena, uh, but they have COVID sniffing dogs uh, throughout the arena and they are going to be sniffing out the people that have COVID and kick them out and not let them back. Uh, I'm, I'm a little stunned at the, uh, the moves that they're going to try to employ just to get some fans in the stands. Is that actually a thing? Did they just make that up? Because I've never even heard of that. I've never heard that dogs have the ability to sniff out COVID on a human being. Are you kidding me? What is that? I like, wish like, I was. Yeah, it's just insane. It, it sounds like something that they just made up and just like, ah, man, this will put people at ease. We got these dogs, right? They'll smell that COVID on you coming a mile away. Yeah. I don't know about that. Crazy. Know about that. I don't know, man. Uh, they've got a lot of drug sniffing dogs in Miami and uh, around Florida, but uh, I, I don't know how they figured out uh, that they can sniff COVID on you, but man, it's crazy. Miami, Florida is a crazy place, and I don't even know why they're thinking of allowing fans in the stands yet until they get this under control, but uh, it'll be kind of wild seeing the videos of these dogs sniffing all the people as they're coming into the stadium. And also, too, like, let's okay. There's here's another thing. Yes, that they're 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 having the fans. They they have a buffer zone right between the players and the fans and stuff like that. But if you're a guy, if if the NBA is having problems with teams missing games because of COVID, and then you're letting fans into the stadium, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Like if, if you really want to lock it down, you really want to do that, no fans. Yeah. You know, like if you're trying to protect um, your, your players to the utmost and the staff and everybody, no fans. No fans, no fans man. No fans, yeah. I, I understand that the owners need to make money, but they've already lost money and they're going to continue to lose money. Yeah. So, all right, okay. Anyways, that's what yeah. I need to say. Well, uh, we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. Uh, there's been some fun action. 
uh, basketball's taken a backseat for me to, to NFL, but uh, NFL taking a one-week break off before the Super Bowl. Um, my attention will be turned back to basketball a lot more. And, and um, UFC, uh, yeah, UFC was fun. Uh, looking forward to the next coming cards. And uh, NFL, man, Super Bowl matchup for, uh, for all-time history. Uh, yeah, this was a fun podcast, man. I really enjoyed myself today. Yes, it was always fun. Uh, we, we touched on a lot of topics today, and it was fantastic. It was a really, really busy uh, sports weekend. Yeah. Well, thanks for spending uh, part of your day off with me, and uh, have a great week ahead. I hope it goes really quick for you. I hope you don't have to work out in the weather. I think it's going to be a pretty lousy week weather-wise. So, um, yeah, let's hope you're inside the studio working well. I hope, uh, I hope you enjoyed this new show. Are you supposed to start on Wednesday or uh, what, what day? tomorrow oh no way oh yeah, wow okay they're gonna be able to have the results from your covid that quick i have no idea about that but i'm starting uh, to... <laughs> okay. I see. okay well good luck enjoy the show i hope it goes really well thanks again for doing this and uh, i'm sure we'll text it a little bit through the week and um yeah well, i guess we'll do this again monday you got it man okay you buddy. have a great one you too all the best man cheers take care cheers. bye for now Okay, well, uh, thanks again, as always, everybody, for tuning in to another edition of Complete Sports Media's podcast. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we, we talked a lot of subjects, had a lot of laughs. Um, yeah, this was one of my favorite episodes of all time. Uh, really great to hear so many of the good takes from, from Jason. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Man, we went, we went a while. Uh, we're going to um, break this break this down a little bit. I think we're going to do a, a UFC portion an NBA portion and a NFL portion. So it'll be uh, three podcasts coming at you in a short succession. Um, thanks for all your support as always. Um, love you guys lots. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for everybody that's uh, given me support and all the people that are working behind the scenes. I want to give a shout out to my friends and family. Thank you so much. Love you lots. Take care of yourself. Bye for now.